It's great to be with you this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about what took place here at Netherwood Park yesterday. It was our one-day vacation Bible school. It was creation camp. Um, Whenever you have a vacation Bible school, one thing you always worry about is, will any kids show up? And a bunch of kids showed up. We had a great turnout. Uh, We had a lot of creative classes. A lot of people were involved in different ways. And I just want to thank all of you who helped in any way uh, to make that possible because God was definitely praised yesterday. God's name was glorified yesterday. And many young children learned about God and his creation and his will for them. So thank you very much for that. It was a, a very good day here at Netherwood. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled, humbled to know that we are allowed to approach your throne, humbled to know that you hear our prayers, Father, humbled to know that you answer our prayers, humbled to know that the Spirit is intervening on our behalf and that Jesus is at your right hand intervening for us. And Father, we don't always understand how you could love us so. But Father, we do understand that we want to love you more and more. Father, give us a hunger and a thirst and a longing to know you and to love you and to obey you. Father, open our hearts this morning to your word and your will for us. Father, transform us into what you would have us be. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, we're continuing our sermon series on spiritual discipline and spiritual disciplines. And we're going to continue talking about our hearts this morning. We're going to continue to talk about the spiritual practices that open our hearts to the transforming work and the transforming power of God. And we're doing that because we want to be a church, a family, a body that's built up and trained up. A body that's mature and fit and healthy. We want to be the body of Christ that God created us to be. So far in this series, we've seen the importance of writing God's word on our hearts. We've talked about how important consistent Bible study is for us to write God's word on our hearts. We'll remember that Moses stressed the importance of making God's word a permanent part of our hearts when he said this to Israel. He said, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So we saw and we were reminded that as God's servants, we must have a voracious appetite for his word, for his word that leads to us being transformed. We must continually feed on his word. We must let it fill our hearts. Then last week, we turned our attention to the spiritual discipline of prayer. And we were reminded that our prayers are powerful and they are effective. They're powerful and effective because our powerful and effective God has declared us righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we had Jesus teach us that powerful and effective prayer isn't a result of our powerful words. It isn't a result of some elaborate rituals. It doesn't come about because of advanced training. Instead, we saw that our power in our prayer comes out of humility. Power in prayer comes from humble hearts that recognize their complete 
and utter dependence on God. Jesus taught us this way by telling this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. No, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the other man, the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So we were reminded that when we pray, God is more concerned with the message that's coming from our hearts than he is about the words that are coming from our mouths. So we've looked at Bible study that writes God's word on our hearts. And we've talked about prayer. And in prayer, we know that we pour out to God the message that is in our hearts. And like Bible study and like prayer, the spiritual disciplines we're going to consider today are also all about the heart. I think that we can probably all agree that there's a lot of competition for our hearts in this world that we live in. There are many things that fight for our hearts. The world we live in offers many rivals, any number of rivals for our hearts. And if our hearts aren't disciplined, we'll give in to that competition. We'll lose the fight for our hearts. We'll pursue the rivals. We'll chase forbidden treasures. I'm going to ask you some questions that I've been asking myself all this week. And the first question is, what does your heart treasure? What do you adore? What do you prize? What do you value the most? See, those questions matter. Those questions matter because our hearts follow our treasure. Or we could put it this way, our hearts belong to whatever it is we treasure. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about our hearts, and he talked about treasure this way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is teaching us that knowing our treasure reveals the location of our hearts. Knowing our treasure reveals the ownership of our hearts. And for children of God, our hearts can only have one owner. In the same sermon, Jesus forcefully made this point this way. In verse 24 of chapter 6, he said, No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We can only have one master. We can only have one treasure. 
our hearts can only have one owner. And if God doesn't completely own our hearts, we can't claim that he is our treasure. One way we could put it is God doesn't timeshare hearts. God doesn't enter into partnerships for the ownership of hearts. No, God owns hearts. He's the sole owner of hearts. Jesus expressed God's ownership of hearts this way. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, who was an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first, and it's the greatest commandment. Love God with how much of your heart? Well, Jesus said you have to, you have to claim, you have to love him with all your heart. See, if God doesn't completely own our hearts, we can't claim him as our treasure. If you watch any basketball or sports or maybe TV at all, I only know about sports because that's pretty much all I watch on TV, is you're asked a question over and over again in commercials, and that question is, what's in your wallet? Like that's the most important question you could ever answer. What's in your wallet? But really the question for us and the important question is, so what's in your heart? What is in your heart? It's an incredibly important question. It's an incredibly important question because we can't serve both God and money. We can't serve both God and stuff. We can't serve both God and our possessions. That was true in Old Testament times. It was true in New Testament times. And it's certainly true in the times that we live now. See, if we're not careful, if we're not disciplined, what we consume, what we consume will consume our hearts. If we aren't careful, if we aren't disciplined, what we possess... What we possess will actually possess our hearts. If we aren't careful and if we aren't disciplined, what we own will end up owning us. It will end up owning our hearts. We live in a world and a time of abundant blessings. We live in a time of abundant material gifts. We need to understand that God's creation is a gift. It's a gift from him, and it was intended and has always been intended to be enjoyed. God's creation has always been intended to bring us great joy. But we also have to be very careful with God's material gifts. We have to be disciplined about God's material gifts. And we have to determine if our hearts are going to be controlled by the gifts or if our hearts are going to be controlled by the giver. We have to decide if our hearts are going to be controlled by what has been created or if we're going to be controlled by the creator. We have to learn that disciplined hearts actually abstain from those things that will control our hearts. They pass up the material gifts that would 
rule our hearts. We also have to understand that disciplined hearts give up those things that would divide our hearts. They renounce those material gifts that would seek to own our hearts. And throughout Old Testament times and during Jesus' times and during the early times of the church, followers of God practiced the disciplines of fasting and the discipline of simplicity as ways to discover what was truly in their hearts, what truly owned their hearts. They used the disciplines of fasting and simplicity to discover where their treasures were actually located. God's followers throughout time have used fasting and simplicity as ways to discipline their hearts. As ways to reorient their hearts to their God. You'll be relieved to know I'm not going to take you through an exhaustive study to prove that throughout Bible times God's people fasted. You're people who know your Bibles. You know that's true. And I'm not going to take you through an exhaustive study to prove that God continually throughout the Bible warns his people of the dangers of material possessions and the dangers of material wealth. You're people who know your Bibles. You know that that is true. I'm also not going to spend a lot of time trying to convince you that God has always stressed the importance of sharing your blessings with others. You're people who know your Bibles and you know that's true. What I want to do, though, is to whet your appetite. This is going to sound kind of funny. Whet whet your appetite for the discipline of fasting. Whet your appetite for the discipline of simplicity. I'm not going to tell you that you have to do them. But I'm really going to encourage you to consider practicing those disciplines. I'm going to ask you to consider practicing those disciplines because of what they can reveal for our hearts and also what they can do for our hearts. So simply put, why fast? Why abstain from food for a period of time? In fact, why abstain from anything that brings us pleasure for any period of time? Why deprive ourselves of things that we crave, even if it's just for a period of time? And the simple answer is because fasting fosters humility. Fasting fosters humility. See, fasting reminds us of how dependent we are on God for every blessing. Fasting reminds us of how all good things that we have are gifts from God. And fasting reminds us of how powerless we are without God. Listen to the words that Moses spoke to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll start reading with verse 2. Deuteronomy 8, 2. Moses said, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Why fast? Why abstain from things we desire? Why deprive ourselves of things we crave? 
Why should we ever willingly experience hunger? Well, we fast to remind ourselves that we don't live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, fasting helps reveal the things that control us. If we can't give something up, if we can't give something up even for a short period of time, then we have to acknowledge that that thing controls us. If we can't skip a meal, then food controls us. If we can't go without watching a TV show, then our TV controls us. We learn a lot through fasting. We learn a lot through our resistance to fasting. Because both of those things reveal where our hearts are divided. They reveal what is controlling us. They reveal what is consuming us, what is possessing us. And fasting reminds us of the source, the source of everything that we enjoy, the source of all that we need. It reminds us that we are dependent on God, that we are sustained by God. And that helps restore balance to our lives. One way to think of fasting is it provides a counterbalance to our culture. See, we have a culture that would have us believe that we can do it all. We have a culture that would have us believe that we can have it all. And maybe most dangerously, we have a culture that would convince us that we actually deserve it all. And through fasting, we can once again recognize that we can, in fact, do it all. But only through the power of Jesus Christ. It can help teach us that we can, we know that we have a gift from God. It's a gracious gift from God, and everything we have is a gift from God. And when we fast, we are led to worship, we're led to prayer. It helps us reconnect with our God. It helps give us a new appreciation and a new understanding that He is our God and we are just His people. So the discipline of fasting fosters humility in a culture that doesn't value humility. And in a similar way, practicing the discipline of simplicity fosters perspective. It brings about a proper perspective about our possessions. We do live in an incredibly materialistic culture. We live during a dramatically materialistic time. See, in our culture, it's normal to lust after bigger and better and newer and shinier. It's normal to lust after those things. It's, it's normal to crave the status and position that we believe that those, those possessions will bring us. That's normal. In our culture, it's normal to lust after more and more. It's normal to lust after more and more because of the security that we think that those possessions will buy us. And it's interesting, we often find ourselves in this strange position A strange position of craving things that we don't need. Lusting after things that we don't really even enjoy. It's a famous quote by Arthur Arthur Gish. He put it this way. He said, we buy things we don't really want to impress people we don't really even like. 
Listen to that again. We buy things we don't really want to impress people we don't even really like. And I want to suggest that that's why we should consider practicing the discipline of simplicity. Because simplifying our lives by reducing our possessions, reducing our dependence on our stuff, what it does is it puts those possessions in their proper perspective. And perspective about our possessions is really hard to come by in our society. But it's not unique to our society. It's something that's been around forever. That's why the Bible is full of these straightforward warnings about the dangers of accumulating wealth and accumulating possessions. Let's turn to Moses again and listen to him warn Israel about the dangers of losing their perspective about their possessions. Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'll start reading in verse 10. Moses says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied... Be careful, because then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's the one who led you through the vast and dreadful desert, the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He's the one who brought you water out of hard rock. He's the one who gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known. And he did it to humble and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. Be careful or you might say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But instead, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, the more we have, the more we accumulate, the more secure we feel in our wealth, the greater our status, the higher our position. Also, the greater is the temptation to believe that our power and our strength and our ability is what made All of those things happen. We begin to think that we made it all happen instead of recognizing that all we have has been gifted to us. It's been gifted to us to enjoy, but it's also been gifted to us to share. All that we have, all that's been given to us by God has been given to us so that we can give to others. All that we've been blessed with, we've been blessed by God with so that we can bless others. And I really believe that it's only when we simplify our lives. It's only when we recognize our gifts and our blessings. It's only when we give our gifts to others and our blessings to others. It's only then that we can place our possessions in their proper perspective. See, simplifying, simplicity frees us. It frees us to receive God's possessions 
God's provisions as the blessings that they are, the gifts that they are. It frees us to accept them as gifts instead of something that we think we have earned. Or even more dangerously, we believe we are owed. And simplicity challenges us. It challenges us to reevaluate our materialistic culture and our place in this culture. Simplicity challenges our vested interest. It challenges our efforts to selfishly maintain our affluent lifestyles. Our affluent lifestyles at the expense of others who don't have what they need. And simplicity does something else. It also removes anxiety. I think we can all agree we could all do with less anxiety in our lives. See, one of the great ironies of our culture's materialism is that it creates the very thing that we think we're going to extinguish. We accumulate more and more because we think that more and more will bring us more and more security. But then we find that the more we have, the more anxious we actually become. And Jesus teaches us a different way. Jesus teaches us a better way. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? They? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, Jesus' solution to anxiety isn't to grab more and more. Instead, his solution is to trust more and more. To trust in God more and more. The solution to anxiety isn't to crave more stuff. The solution is to crave the one who created all of this stuff. The solution is to hunger and thirst and long for God and his peace. So why simplify our lives? Well, because it helps us put our possessions in their proper perspective. And because it removes life's anxiety by bringing God's peace. So how do you simplify 
you'll, you'll be surprised to learn that it's actually quite simple to simplify. It's simple, but I think most of us know it's not easy. So I'm just going to give you four principles that you can put into practice in your life that will help your perspective about your possessions and will help bring you peace. So principle number one is to choose usefulness instead of status. I'm going to ask some questions that might hit close to home for you and for me. How much car do you really need? How big of a house do you really need? How many, and we can fill in the blank here, how many shoes do you really need? How many coats do you really need? How many, this is hitting close to home, bicycles do you really need? How many rifles do you really need? Fill in your own blank. How much do you really need? Choose usefulness instead of status. Principle number two is to develop a habit of giving things away. If you don't need it, give it to someone who does. If you aren't using it, give it to someone who will. And then fight the temptation to replace what you don't need and what you don't use with something else that you don't need and you won't use. Develop a habit of giving things away. Third principle is learn to enjoy without owning. We need to recapture the joy and pleasure that comes from all the free things that there are in life. The pleasure that can be found in the park or a trip to the mountains or stepping outside and watching the sunset or a simple walk with a loved one or a talk with a long lost friend. Learn to enjoy without owning. And the fourth principle I'm going to suggest is never forget that debt enslaves. If you have a need, don't buy more than you can afford. Learn the discipline of saving. Learn the joy and freedom that come from being debt-free. Never forget that debt enslaves. So focus on what's useful. Habitually give things away. Learn to enjoy without owning. And don't become enslaved by debt. So why fast? Why simplify? Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Earlier we asked the question, What's in your heart? And as we end, if you have examined your heart and you know that your heart isn't consumed by God, if you know that your heart isn't possessed by God, if you know that your heart isn't controlled by God, if you've examined your heart and you realize that that isn't true of your heart and you have a desire to give your heart to God, to God alone, We'd like to help you do that. We'd like to walk along with you as you struggle to have an undivided heart. We'd like to walk along and help you as you help us because we're all struggling to have undivided hearts. 
And if that's your desire this morning, won't you let us know so that we can walk along beside you? You can let us know in a few different ways. We're going to stand up and sing a song together. You can simply walk to the front and let us know that you're ready to to give your heart completely to God. If you're more comfortable doing that in a more private setting, you can make your way to the back and ask someone to direct you to our library and one of our elders and his wife will be there and they would love to talk to you about giving your heart to God. Or you can simply pick up one of those green cards that we talked about before. You can fill that out, drop it in one of the boxes. Let us know that you have a desire to give your heart to God. And we will contact you and we'll let you know how that can be possible, how that can be true, and how we can walk along with each other. If you have that need, won't you let us know? We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing to the only one that our hearts truly need. Let's stand and sing together.